Stand with me as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter number 6 this morning. The book of Genesis chapter number 6. We're going to begin reading with verse 5. Are you ready? Says, so the Lord said, excuse me, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall uh, finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Verse 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. This morning I want to talk to you for a few moments about lessons learned from Noah's ark. Lessons learned from Noah's ark. Father, we thank you today for the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given to us your word that we may learn, we may glean from it. Lord, we may see, Lord, the way that you work and interact. And Lord, as we learn from that, Lord, we can apply it to our life and it will make our lives better. Father, help us today, Lord, to receive your word, and Lord, may, may we apply the word of the Lord that we receive today. We ask these things in the name of the Lord. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. 
A little boy was sitting on his grandpa's lap as the old gentleman was reading to him about Noah and the ark and the flood. Reading out of a children's storybook. The little boy looked up into the face of his granddad and he said, Grandpa, were you on the ark? The little boy's grandpa chuckled and said, No, son, I wasn't. The little boy said, Well, then... Why didn't you drown? (laughs) All of us should be very familiar with this Bible story. It's a story we've read our whole life. It's a story we've learned from the time that we were just in the beginner class in Sunday school. And as it is with all of the stories recorded in the Word of the Lord, there's a host of lessons that we can learn if we'll study this, if we'll read this, if we will see the way that God interacted and the way God responded and the way that man responded to God and the way man acted. If we can just look at these Bible stories, uh, we can learn a lot of valuable lessons that will help us live our lives. Well, there's a host of lessons that we can learn this morning, but... For the time frame that we have this morning, I've narrowed the lessons down to six. So I want to share with you six lessons I believe that we can learn from the story of Noah and the ark and the great flood. And the first lesson this morning that I I think we need to learn from this story is that, that God means what He says. God means what He says. Now, there's a host of people that don't really believe that. They don't really believe that God means what He says. They don't really believe that God, what He said in His Word, is relevant for today, or that God really actually means everything that He recorded in His Word. They think that somehow God is going to change His mind about some things. uh, Oh, like judgment and hell and eternal punishment and things like that. Somehow they think that God is going to make an exception for them. They think that the scriptures on God's wrath and about hell and eternal punishment is just God's way of scaring people into living better lives. And when it gets right down to it, that God's not really going to do what he said he would do, that somehow God's going to change it, that God's really, he really doesn't mean what he said. Friend, one of the lessons that I get from reading about Noah and the ark and the flood is this simply that God means what he says. In Genesis chapter 6 that we read in verses 5 through 7, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I'm going to destroy man whom I have created. I'm going to destroy them from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then over in chapter 7 in verse number 17, It says that the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. And the ark moved about on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land, all of them died. 
And he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him, only they in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 years. God said in Genesis chapter 6, I am sick of man. I am sick of their sin. I am sick of the way that they are living. And because of man's sin, I am going to destroy every living thing with a flood. This is what God said. And then in Genesis chapter 7 that we read, God did exactly what he said. Friend, we should learn from this the fact that God means what he said. When God says that there's a heaven prepared for the saints, when God says there's a hell prepared for the sinner, we better believe it. When God says the wages of sin is death, He means it. Oh, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me, there's no other way to heaven except through the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Word of God, and when God says it, friend, we better understand that God says what He means, and He means what He says. Well, the good news is, friend, that he also said in Isaiah 55 and 7, he said, Oh, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He also said in 1 John 1 and 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, just as God promises to punish the sinner, he also promises to provide salvation to anyone that cries out to him for salvation. What can I learn this morning from the story of Noah and the ark and the flood? I can learn, my friend, that God means what he says. I said God means what he said if he said it. Amen. If he wrote it down in his book. Friend, I want to tell you, you can take it to the bank. Amen. It is going to happen just exactly and precisely the way that he said it would. Now, we understand that God promised judgment in the day of Noah. But listen, friend, do you understand that God also promised that there would also be another day and another time of judgment? Uh, amen. God, uh, amen, was sick of the sin of man in Noah's day. And so he destroyed man by flood. God promised, I'll never do that again. I'll never, I'll never destroy man by flood. But he didn't say, I won't destroy man, just won't do it by water. This time, he says, I'm the last, in the last day, I'm going to do it by fire. Yeah, friend, the same God that promised judgment in the day of Noah, he has also promised judgment in these last days. In 2 Peter chapter number 3 and verse number 10 says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, say dissolved, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness 
prevails. I'm telling you, we can learn much from Noah and the ark and uh, and the flood, friend. We can learn that God means what he said. God said to Noah, I'm sick and tired of the sick of, uh, of the sin of man, and because of the sin of man, I'm going to destroy man and everything on the face of this earth. I'm going to do it with a flood. God promised that and God delivered, but he also said in the last day, in the last day on the day of the Lord. Amen. Listen, the Bible, Jesus said that there's coming a day in these, in the last day. Amen. When once again, God gets enough of planet earth. He gets enough of their sin and their degradation. And God is going to say it's enough. And just as he destroyed the earth by water in Noah's day, in the, in the last day, at the end of this age, amen, the Bible says that God once again is going to destroy this earth. Earth by fire. She better write it down, my friend, because God says what He means, and He means what He says. Well, let's notice another lesson that we can learn from Noah and the ark and the flood. Learn this lesson. This is a good one this morning. God protects His people. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Friend, God never punishes the righteous along with the unrighteous. I said God never punishes the righteous along with the unrighteous. God always protects His people. Before God sent judgment on planet earth by way of a flood, he first of all instructed Noah to build a huge boat and to fill the boat with provisions. And only after Noah and only after his family were safely on board the ark, only then did the flood come. Only then was the wrath of God poured out upon planet earth. You'll find the same thing was true with Lot and his family who were living in the wicked city of Sodom. And God was sick and tired of the sin of Sodom. It was a stench in his nostrils. And God said, I'm going to destroy the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot and his family who were righteous were living in this wicked city, the wicked city of Sodom. And it was only after Lot and his family, only after they were safely removed from Sodom, only then did all that God opened the windows of heaven and dumped upon Sodom and Gomorrah the fire and brimstone and judgment and wrath that he had promised. God protected his people. In Matthew chapter 24, as well as many chapters in the book of the Revelation, the Bible describes the great tribulation at the end of time. The Bible said that time is coming when God is going to vent His wrath. He's going to pour out of His wrath on planet earth in unprecedented proportion. Like never was, nor ever shall be, ever again, the Bible describes it. But friend, before He does this, first of all, He's going to remove His church. Before He uh, uh, vomits His wrath upon planet earth in the great tribulation first of all he's going to gather his people he's going to gather the church he's going to gather the children of God into his presence he protects his people amen first Thessalonians chapter number four first Thessalonians chapter number four and verse 13 says I would not have you to be ignorant or uninformed I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those that have died. Because I don't want you to sorrow as others who don't have any hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those that have died. Oh, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. The dead in Christ are going to rise first and then you and I that are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord and therefore comfort one another with these words. Notice Paul says comfort one another with these words. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I don't get any comfort in hearing about the great tribulation. I don't get any comfort in hearing uh, that the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon planet earth in unprecedented fashion. But I do get comfort in knowing that before God does that, first of all, He's going to gather His church. He's going to gather His people. He's going to gather His saints. Amen. He's going to protect us. He's going to take us into the presence of God. Before God vomits wrath upon planet earth, first of all, you and I get to escape. You and I get to get out of here. It's called the rapture of the church when the Lord comes for His people. What is it we can learn from the story of Noah? Well, we can learn that God means what He says. We can learn that God protects the righteous. And the third lesson that we can learn this morning, and we need to learn this one, and that is God doesn't get in a hurry. Now, God didn't pronounce judgment on the earth one day and carry it out the next. A hundred years or so went by from the time of God's pronouncement of judgment to the day that he executed it. Now, everybody says 120 years. I can't find that in the Bible. If you can show me, I want to know so I can get my theology straight, but I can't find it. But... At a hundred years or so went by from the time of God's pronouncement to the day he executed it. You see, it took time to build a huge ship. It took time to stock it with supplies and get the animals on board. And besides all of that, what is time to God? Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us, Don't forget this, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now to us, Jesus has been gone from planet earth for 2,000 years. But to him, it's two days. Because a day in the, in, in the calendar of the Lord is as a 1,000 years. And a 1,000 years is as one day. Yeah. Hey, you know, if you've always been and you're always going to be, why would you get in a hurry? I said, if you've always been and you're always going to be, why in the world would you get in a hurry? Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise as some people think He is. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everybody to repent. Listen, friend, if God has promised you something and it hasn't happened yet, don't give up hope. Delay doesn't mean denial. Friend, God doesn't work on the same time schedule that we do. Sometimes we hear God speak something into our heart and we hear God say something or promise us something and we get all excited thinking that it's going to take place tomorrow. Listen, maybe it will, but probably it won't. But if God truly said it, you can take it to the bank. Friend, you can mark it down. It is going to happen, but it probably will not happen when you think it ought to happen or when you think it will happen. It will happen when God gets good and ready to make it happen. And God's timetable is always perfect. 
And friend, don't think that just because something hasn't happened that it's not going to happen. God has not forgotten and He will fulfill His will and He will make good on His promise. That's the good promises and the bad promises. He'll do it on His timetable when He gets good and ready to do it. Well, let's notice another lesson that we can learn from the story of Noah and the ark and the flood. The fourth lesson that we can learn this morning is that God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. You see, Noah didn't just build an ark. He was not just a carpenter. He was not just a boat builder. But not only did he build the ark, but he preached to everybody that would listen to him about the coming flood and about the only way of escaping the wrath of God that was to come by getting on board the ark with him. The Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness and he preached of the coming wrath of of God and the coming destruction of planet earth and he preached to them the hope of, of not being destroyed and the only hope they had was to get on board the ark. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not have to perish, but they would have everlasting life. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Friend, God wants everybody to be saved. I said it is the will of God, the perfect will of God is that everybody be saved. Will everybody be saved? No, not everybody will be saved. The majority of people will be lost. But it is the will of God. It is the heart of God. It is the desire of God. Amen. That everybody be saved. The Lord's not willing that any should perish. God wants everybody to be saved. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Look with me in Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 through 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Woo, let's have a Jericho march. Let's jump and shout and run about. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's wonderful. That's awesome. All you have to do to be saved is call on the name of the Lord. Rely upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. And cry out to God for mercy and cry out to God for salvation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's the problem. Verse 14. But how shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe if they've not even heard? How can you believe something you've never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How will they hear if they don't have a preacher? And how will the preacher preach unless he is sent? Don't grow weary of hearing it. You'll hear it many more thousand times in the next however many years the Lord leaves me here. Friend, what are we doing? New Bethel, what are we doing as a church? Individual, what are we doing to ensure the salvation of the lost? Do we understand that people that don't know Christ go to hell? Do we understand that? Do we understand that That the vast majority of people on planet earth still have never had an adequate presentation of the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that we yawn through and 
you know, struggle to stay awake through because we've heard it umpteen thousand times. It's the same message that most of the world's never heard even one time. Do we understand that? So why do we get weary and why do we get angry when the pastor says we need to do more for missions? Lost people go to hell. Lost people can't get saved without the message of Jesus Christ. They're not going to hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ unless there's a preacher. The preacher can't go unless somebody sends them. Friend, what are we doing to ensure the salvation of the lost? Noah built an ark. He built an ark. But he didn't just build an ark. That's not all that he did. When people came to see what in the world he was up to, he preached to them. Peter said he was a preacher of righteousness. He warned them of upcoming judgment. He urged them to get on board the ark with him. Listen, friend, Jesus is our ark today. Jesus is our ark. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our only means of salvation. And friend, He's not only our ark. He's not only our hope. He's not only our only means of salvation. But friend, He will be the ark. And He will be the hope. And He will be the, the, the means of salvation. Amen. To our friends and our family and our loved ones. To people that we know. And people we don't know. To people around the world that we've never ever met before. Amen. He is the ark for them. Amen. He is the only means of salvation to them. What in the world are we doing? Amen. To ensure that they are ready to meet God. What are we doing? Well, friend, we can speak up to those that are around us and we can send people in our place where we are not able to go. Notice another lesson we can learn from Noah and his ark. Well, I'm behind here this morning. Number five. The lesson we can learn is that you never, you're never too old to be used by God. You're never too old to be used by God. Noah was over 500 years old when God told him to build the ark. Genesis 5 and 32 tells us this. Is anybody here this morning over 500? If not, then all of us this morning are candidates to be working in the kingdom of God. Now let me rattle a few cages this morning. I do that well. If you can find retirement in the Bible, then please point it out to me and I'll get off of this, okay? I'll get my theology straight. But I can't find retirement the way Americans define retirement. I can't find retirement in the Bible. And if it's there and I'm just missing it, because I don't, you know, that's a, there's a lot in here. And I don't claim to know everything that's in here or understand everything. So if it's there and I'm missing it, please... Let me know and I'll retire. Now hear me this morning. Hear me clearly. I'm not saying there shouldn't be adjustments made to our lives and adjustments to our schedules as we go along in life. I'm not saying that. I understand that. But for us to just sit out on our front porch with a cup of coffee on the newspaper and rock our life away, I don't find it in the Word of God. For us to spend 10, 20, 30 years doing absolutely nothing or spend 10, 20, 30 years, amen, just living and spending it in pleasure, I don't find that in the Word of the Lord. I don't believe that's the will of God for our life. Oh, yes, there might be a day when we don't punch a time clock again. Maybe there may come a time when we don't work for a company anymore. Amen. But friend, there is always work to be done for the kingdom of God. 
I said, there's always work to be done in the kingdom of God. Hey, you could help maintain the church facilities and the grounds. Amen. Those of you that don't have to punch a clock anymore, don't have to go to work five or five and a half or six days a week. I know you got a lot of things to do, but you have more time than anybody else. Amen. You could spend some of that time uh, uh, at the church. Amen. Fixing and repairing things and cleaning things. Well, we've got a janitor. We pay a janitor to clean the middle. We need somebody to clean the corners. You could spend some time on the property, on the grounds. Amen. There's a lot of things that you could do. I'm not saying give all of your time. I'm just saying you could do that. Amen. You could prepare and deliver meals for people that are sick or people that are needy. You could go on missions trips. Amen. You could spend time in prayer, lifting up your church and lifting up the leadership of the church. You could spend quality time, whether it's announced at church or you've got your closet at home. You could spend some extra time calling on God for your church and for its leadership. You could help somebody in need by cleaning their house or mowing their lawn or going to the grocery store for them. Friend, there's absolutely, absolutely no limit to the possibilities of working in the kingdom of God. You're never too old to be used by God. I don't care if you're bedridden. I don't care if you can't even get out of your house. There's never, you're never too old, amen, to sit there and lay there, amen, and call out to God and call your pastor's name out to God and the deacon's name and your family and your church and your, there's, you never get too old to work for the kingdom of God. You can mentor some young man or, or, or young woman pouring into, into their lives the years of wisdom that you have. In Titus chapter 2, uh, it says the older men and the older women ought to be teaching younger men and younger women. Now that doesn't mean that only older people ought to be teaching classes at church. That's not what that means. It means that older men and older women ought to be mentoring younger men and younger women. Here's a thought this morning. Find some younger person and develop a relationship with them. Maybe somebody that doesn't have an older positive influence in their life right then. Begin to, right now, begin to pour into them the godly wisdom and knowledge that you have gleaned in your lifetime. What can we learn from the lesson? What, what lessons can we learn from the story of Noah? You're never too old to be used by God. My father's 80 years old. And he's no longer a pastor of a church. But my mother and my father still own and operate a flower shop. They still work five days a week. I finally got my mother to close on Saturdays. And she's 78, or will be. But their flower shop is more than just a flower shop. People come in there for counseling. They come in there and buy flowers, but they also come in there and share their heart and share their situation. And my mom and dad pray for them and, and minister to them and counsel them. People come in there for prayer. My father doesn't pastor a church anymore. He pastors his little town. He's been there longer than any local pastor in town. Pastors come and pastors go. And in little bitty towns like that town, they come and go about every six months to two years. If they stay two years, they're long term. And so pastors come and pastors go. My parents are still there. And so because of that over the years, he has become the town pastor. And people from every church come to my mother and my father for counsel and for prayer. My father, who is an Assemblies of God pastor, a tongue-talking, Holy Ghost-filled, Spirit-filled preacher, has preached in every single church in his little town, including the Church of Christ.
You're never too old to be used by God. You may not be able to do what you one time did, but you can still be useful for the kingdom of God. One last thing this morning. Wow. One last lesson that we can learn from the story of Noah, and that is ignore the skeptics. Do you think that anyone was skeptical of what Noah was doing? What are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? It's a big boat. What do you need a big boat for? It's going to rain. Watch rain. Can you imagine the mocking and the ridicule that Noah must have taken from people? But remember this this morning. The believers were saved. The skeptics drowned. The believers were saved. The skeptics drowned. And friend, nobody escapes the skeptic. Skeptics show up in everybody's life. Skeptics will tell you what you're doing wrong. Skeptics will tell you it'll never work. True story. The first day they were demonstrating the new locomotive. The train. First day they're debuting it. They're demonstrating it. The crowd gathers. The engineer blows the horn. And somebody says from the audience, they'll never get her going. The engineer, And it gains speed and gains speed and gains speed and it's going, it's chugging and now it's going pretty good. And all of a sudden, it's over the hill and it's out of sight. And the same skeptic said, they'll never get her stopped. How many think David, well we know David had his share of skeptics when he volunteered to fight the giant named Goliath. The sad thing is that the skeptics were his own brothers. Oh, friend, you expect to be, you expect the skeptic from the world, but it hurts much deeper, friend, when it comes from your own brother. No doubt Peter had his skeptics before he stepped out of the boat and onto the water. Oh, what can we learn from the story of Noah and the ark and the flood? Oh, we learn this. We need to ignore the skeptics. Remember the skeptics drowned. Only the believers, only those that believed, only those that got on board the ark, only they were saved. Let me tell you this morning that not everybody is going to believe in you. Not everybody is going to believe in your dream. Not everybody is going to march in your parade. Listen, friend, go where you are celebrated and not where you are tolerated. Not everybody will believe our message, friend. Oh, there are skeptics of the Bible and there are skeptics of the church. There are skeptics of preachers. There are skeptics of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people that are skeptic. Oh, they are skeptics of our motives and of our methods. Ignore the skeptics. Ignore the skeptics. Amen. The skeptics are going to be lost. Only those that are the believers, only they are going to be saved. 
If we could have the musicians and singers back in place this morning, friend. Oh, what have we learned from the story of Noah and the ark and the flood? We've learned that God means what He says. If God said it, you can mark it down. God means what He says. We can learn, friend, that God will protect the righteous. Yes, God is going to pour out wrath upon planet earth in the last day, even as He did to Sodom and Gomorrah, even as He did to the, to the days of Noah. That day is coming again at the end of this age, at the end of this dispensation. But, friend, God will protect the righteous. Those of us that are the saints of God, we're going to be protected. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. Before he pours out of his wrath. You can learn that God doesn't get in a hurry. He doesn't get in a hurry. You'll get in a hurry. Because you're on man's timetable. But God is not on man's timetable. To God a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is as of one We've learned that God wants everybody to be saved. Everybody to be saved. We've learned from Noah. Oh, you're never too old to be used by God. Never too old to be used. We need to rethink our retirement. We need to rethink, you know, uh, what we're doing or what we are not doing. And understand that God, you know, when God gets totally finished with us, then He'll take us. But until then, I don't care if you're laying flat on your back in the nursing home, there is a purpose for your life. God is using you. And until He is done with you, you're going to be here. You're going to be here. So use your life for the cause of Christ. And then ignore the skeptics. They're not all going to march in your parade. They're not all going to jump there up and click their heels and shout. And you know what I've noticed is that different things that I've done down through my ministry, there's always been one or two. It's never very many, but there's always one or two dragging their heels and one or two that's skeptical, one or two that's critical. And then you know what? Two years later, they're the ones out in front of the parade saying, you know, boy, how do Oh, I'm sure glad we did this. Oh, man, there were people that didn't want to, but I'm sure glad we did. Can't, see, this will be church number four to build if we get this one over here. And I, in the, all three churches I've built, I've heard people say, and they, they'd be bringing people through, look what we did. And they didn't do a cotton picking thing. But it's all right. I don't care. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord today. Thank you, dear God. Father, your word, your word, oh God. God, your word is to help us, oh God, to help us. God, if we can learn from the mistakes of others and learn from the successes of others, what a difference it can make in our own lives. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning. I just want to see if there might be one or maybe more than one this morning. You're not ready to meet God today. You know there's something in your heart that's not right between you and God. You want to get that right today. You want to get all square with God before you leave today. If that's you this morning, real quickly, lift your hand. I'm going to help you this morning, pray with you. And God's going to uh, hear us today and get you all square with the Lord this morning. If I describe you, lift your hand in this room. Anyone in this room this morning. All right, would you stand with me this morning? I'm sorry we're out of time this morning.